Marketing Made Easy, the podcast. Now here are your hosts from Get Savvy Club, Anna Geary and Anita Baldwin. Hello everyone, welcome to Marketing Made Easy. We're the Get Savvy Club and I'm Anita and I'm here with Anna as usual. Hi Anna, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Are you all right? Yes, good, thank you. We're recording this in that weird no-man's land between Christmas and New Year. where People I call just, it Twixmas, I, don't they, or something? That's a bit fancy, isn't it? I, oh. I genuinely had to think for about 30 seconds this morning when I went out running as to what day it was. I was like, is it Thursday? <laughs> what is it? I just was like, yeah. you can't work it out, can mm. you? So, yeah, we were talking earlier about how actually we'll be glad when it's all done and everything's back to normal yeah. but confusingly we're recording this top and tail part but we actually recorded the actual podcast back in december start of december didn't we so yeah so today we've got a really interesting guy on who he's a british guy but he lives he lives in malibu now uh, yeah. not jealous much and he's um we actually met him when we went to trafficking conversions at san diego so really nice guy interesting story what struck me when we interviewed him is how honest he was about stuff in today's culture of never really feeling like you can have an opinion or like you can be proud of chasing money thinking that you want to make a load of money and be happy and you know thinking that you can actually make a difference in your life and, and what motivates you uh, what I really liked about Steve he just was like well this is me this is what I like this is what I like to do and this is what I'm good at and he was kind of what you see is what you get wasn't he I think originally before we went to traffic and conversions was already messaging him about coming on the podcast so it was really weird when we got the line up and we saw who was there and who was speaking I was like I know that name. And then I looked, I was like, yes, we have been messaging about the sorting it out. So it's a lot easier to get people to go, right, okay, we will get a date in the diary and done when you actually meet them. So we, yeah, we had a good chat with him there, didn't we? In, in the VIP area that we were all in. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Chatting about his books and it things. It wasn't really VIP, was it? It just meant you got food all day, which we thought would be useful, except we <laughs> soon realised that the food you got all day was just biscuits and cakes, which is yeah. great. I can eat that all day long, but felt a bit crap by the end of the week. Yeah, and then they um, like set a bar up, didn't they? Like, obviously, no at lunchtime, no yeah. drink. But literally. yeah, so people could have just have had free booze for like from like yeah, twelve. One yeah, of and I'm not very productive if I start drinking at lunchtime. I'm not very productive if I drink in the evening. I suppose as well, you know, like because I'm, you know, the time difference too. But anyway, listen out for the story. The best story I think that I've heard in a long while is the story that Steve tells about his granddad and when he was working with him and what yeah. made him like think shit I'm gonna make a change because that is a wise man and that's a great story so um, anyway let's get into it if you're enjoying marketing made easy the podcast from get savvy club use your podcast app to rate review and subscribe today we have with us the lovely Steve Sims how you doing Steve I don't think I've ever been called lovely, so I'm obviously very excited. Thank you very much for that. Well, I'm no, that's, tell my wife. that's um, the start of the podcast. Let's see if we say it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. That was the lovely Steve, or yeah. just, yeah, thanks, Steve. Bye. Steve. <laughs> For, yeah, formerly, no, formerly known as lovely Steve, yeah. <laughs> now it's just Steve, Mr. Sims. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to explain to our listeners who you are and what value you add to the world that'd be great thanks are you saying that because you can't no i do find the podcast guests and i have well i actually asked you to be a podcast guest a while ago didn't i and then yeah. we saw you actually in san diego so we we're like followed it up again all right so let me give again. you i always find it funny how people explain me because it's it can come from all different ways but started off as a bricklayer in leighton stowe london had no money didn't like it it sucks wanted to hang around with rich people ended up launching the world's first experiential concierge firm for billionaires 
worked with Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Larry Page, John Paul DeJuria, and I became known by Forbes and Entrepreneur magazine as the real-life Wizard of Oz. At the back end of that 20-plus year history, I started working on events that, quite simply, a lot of them owned or were major investors in. So I was involved in the Kentucky Derby, Grammys, Formula One, Paris, Milan, London, Fashion Weeks, Sir Elton John's Oscar party, and I got into branding and marketing. Launched a company, Sims.media, and then six years ago, launched a book called Bluefish in the Art of Making Things Happen, thinking... No one's going to buy it. It's so simple, so ridiculous. Everyone's probably already doing it. And it became a bestseller. And then recently just released my latest little gem, Go For Stupid. And that's my latest one. So now I'm a two-time bestselling author, which is still hilarious. You kind of skirted over that, but you did say some massive things there. So how... (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So how do you go from bricklayer to, and what do you call it, experiential concierge? What is that? And, you know, what did you do? Yeah, And it wasn't even called a concierge at the time because this was in the 90s. Um, I didn't want to be poor, uh, so I knew that I had to change the room I was in. We all know that mentality. Entrepreneur 101, you know, be in a room full of people far superior to you. Okay, They will drag you up. Uh, So I knew I had to be in a a different room because all my rooms in Leytonstone were full of broke bikers. And so... I was just an element of a bunch of broke bikers. So I had to try and find a way of hanging around affluent people. I tried stockbroking, jet charters, yacht charters, security guard. I got fired out of everything. And then one day, I'd actually applied for a job in Hong Kong. Got it as a trainee stockbroker. Lasted one day and was fired. And now well, I'm in went Hong- all the way to Hong Kong and lasted yep. a day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I landed <laughs> on the Saturday, got drunk on the Saturday night with the new brokers, got drunk on the Sunday night, was qualified to do that. And then on the Monday, they realized that I never actually had any qualifications. So on the Tuesday, they let me go. One wow, day. Shame on them for hiring you without checking. <laughs> well, exactly. But uh, it meant that I'm now in Hong Kong, no family, no friends, which was great because all of my crutches were now gone, mm, you know? Yeah. And so, and all of I, your time wasters as well. It's easy to go to the pub with your mates, and yeah, yeah. So I ended up working in the door of a nightclub. There's a lot of people. Do you know a guy, or have you heard of a guy called Sean Stevenson? Sadly, he passed away a while back. No. Sean Stevenson. I won't go into Dr. Sean Stevenson. The guy should have apparently, I think the doctor said he wouldn't live past six, you know, and he ended up being like 40 in a wheelchair. If he coughed, his bones were so brittle, they would literally break. Mm. But the guy was such a powerful force. And he always used to say to anything that would ever happen to him, was this done to me or was it done for me? And with that mindset, working on the door, I had a couple of meatheads that basically just wanted to save as much blood off their shirts and go home with the hot girlies. With me, I was seeing a different thing. I was actually seeing human interaction. And I got to recognize people that had money and people that pretended they had money. Mm. People that were after that money. People that were out for a fight. It was literally like getting an MBA on human psychology. Now I'm on the door. So I started looking after some of the more affluent clientele getting them into clubs I knew about, getting them into parties, taking over mansions, throwing my own parties. So it was step by step. I went from literally closing the pub down at like one o'clock in the morning for like a private behind hours and then suddenly taking over yachts, but only inviting. And here was the key. Why would I invite a poor person? I Mm. knew what being poor was like and it's shit. So I would only invite CEOs and owners and investors and 
millionaires. And the key was, I didn't want to pick up your laundry. I didn't want to walk your dog. So we didn't know what to be called. So I was just the man that can, the Mr. Fix-It, until in the late 90s, concierge firms started popping up. And they went, oh, you're one of those. I became one of those by default. And here's the funny thing. I said to you I wrote the book six years ago. Seven years ago, Forbes did an eight-page article on me exposing the man behind billionaires. And it killed about 40% of my business in one day. Oh, wow. Why? Because they, you want you to stay hidden. Yeah. Or, when you're yeah. rich and powerful and you own things like a country, people think that you're getting to do all these wonderful things because you're powerful. They don't want you to suddenly be seen that you're just employing this weird guy on a motorbike and getting him to do it. He's the powerful one. You're just paying. Yeah, and so yeah. all of a sudden, I got literally, I got a lot of commiseration phone calls from clients going, well done, Steve, on the article, but we we can't use you now you you're out and uh, that was it and luckily i was in a party and this again goes back to make sure you're in the right room that's a common thread and i was at a party in new york and i was telling this girl a story about when i had a client that wanted to have a dinner uh, experience in florence and i actually and it's quite a famous one most people know it i actually shut down the academia the galleria museum that houses michelangelo's david and at nine o'clock at night, I had a table of six set up at the feet of David. And the clients came in and had this amazing dinner oh. under the feet of David. And then when they got to that main course, I had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade them. Oh, wow. Um, and that was the it. It's not Nando's, is it? Not yeah. a bad, not a bad day at work. <laughs> but that was, that was it. Most people knew about that. So I was telling this girl this story. And she happened to be one of the seniors in Simon & Schuster. And she was like, we should write a book on that. And a week later, I had my first book deal. Wow. Well, you're right, isn't it? It's who you mix with, who you talk to, and those off-the-cuff conversations and opportunities and, and what have you. Every time, every time. And on that note, I don't want to labour on it, but this is one of the aggravation points that actually got me writing this second book. You need to have the conversations with the right people, okay? Keyword, right people. Second keyword, conversations, a lot of people are scared to have a conversation now in case they say something out of context and they get cancelled. Yeah, so absolutely. we're actually, we know we have to have a conversation, but we're frightened of saying something stupid. Well, sure, shit, I'm probably going to say something stupid in this in any case. So we can not worry about that. But the one person we're not having conversations with today is us. What do we demand? What are we willing to accept? What are we willing to settle for? Where are our standards? So before you have a conversation with the people in the room, get you straight and have a conversation with you as to what you want to go for and what you are going to achieve. Yeah. And how willing are you to get out of your comfort zone in order to do that? So that's what it's about, isn't it? Every time you've got to get you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And you're right. You can. It's, you know, once you do it a few times, actually, that it's almost an adrenaline rush, isn't it? Of going somewhere that makes you a bit nervous. And, and actually, it's OK. You search mm. for it. I've done kickboxing. I race motorcycles at the moment. I speak on stages all over the planet. And I do get that. Yeah, you guys speak. You know this. But when you get just before you get on stage, I get a little bit kind of buzzed. I always and, get a bit yeah. nervous, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I eat well way too much, but for some reason, before I go and speak, I don't want to eat anything. I'll go to the buffet afterwards and be eating 
quite loads. But before, for some reason, I get them butterflies. I'm like, I'm just gonna wait. I'm just gonna like just have a drink and just wait. And then when I've waited too much after I've had after I've done the talk, for some reason I still have those nerves. Doesn't matter, really matter whether it's talking in front of five people or five hundred. It's the, it's the or five thousand, whatever. It's the it's the same sort of feeling of okay, yeah. But you need that. That's what keeps you good. You yeah. Know. That's you don't... Key. I'm glad you said that, Anita, because mm. you do. Anyone out there that's just about to get on stage and thinking, oh, I can't do it because I'm nervous. The best people are the second that you're about to go on stage and you don't have any of those. Yeah. Stop because you're not yeah. bringing your A game. It means you don't care enough. One hundred. Bingo. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Mic drop so, there. So what do you spend your days doing now then? So I do a lot of coaching and training. As I say, I, I part own a, a company called Sims Media where we focus on branding, which was actually why I was one of the keynote speakers at Traffic and Conversion. Uh, it was on the art of branding, how so many people do it so shit. And so a lot of my business is actually on marketing and branding. And I have a lot of coaching clients on personal branding. And then the rest of the time I spend drinking too much whiskey and riding motorcycles. And where at the same time. Never at the same time, no. (laughs) Where do you live in America? Yeah. I I do. This is where I get the sympathy vote. I live in Malibu and it's a bit chilly today. So I am sorry about you. I danced around. I went from Leytonstone, Basingstoke, two really beautiful, eclectic designer areas. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I went to Hong Kong, Bangkok, Geneva, Palm Beach, and now I live here in Malibu. Yeah. What would you say to anybody that was in a similar situation? Because by accident, really, you ended up in Hong Kong. Would you would you tell anyone who is a bricklayer or doing something similar that they're they're hating whatever it is that they're doing and they hear you and they say, that's me. I'm just an average guy. I don't want to do this anymore. Would you advocate just literally doing that then? If you can, obviously, if you've not got mortgages, family and, and whatever, if you're, if you're able to, would you advocate just getting yourself in a completely new place? When you actually start hanging around with a lot of affluent people and successful people, you find out that most of their discoveries come through accident. Okay. And I would say that, I, I see. I always thought I was going to stay in Asia, and then something happened in Asia, and there was a coup, and I ended up moving over to Switzerland. And then there was a situation in Switzerland with a business partner. I ended up moving over to Palm Beach. Palm Beach. Everywhere I've moved has been an accident. So you constantly got to go. But for that bricklayer out there that's worried about or scared about taking that move, I'm going to give you a story that my granddad gave me. And I was 17 years old. I'm on the building site. And I got up onto the scaffolding, and next to me was my dad, who was running the uh, the crew for this bricklaying job. My dad, my uncle, my two cousins, and then my granddad was there, who was nearly 80. Now, of course, when you're 17 years old and you see someone who's 80 years old, you think they're, you know, ancient, yeah. you know? And so I'm looking down this line, and my two cousins, one was like 19, the other one was 25. Literally, I could see generations, you know, yeah. going where are you going this- to be? Yeah. I saw my future, and mm-hmm. right at the end of it was my granddad. And so, when we came down for tea break, and we all huddled into this caravan with no wheels, and we all tried to get dry and warm from a typical sunny British day. And I, I go over to my granddad, and it's cold, and he's blowing into his tea. And I said, Granddad, did you ever think you'll be doing this when you were this old? Now, that's the kind of statement that should have got me a plant on the nose. But he didn't even look at me. And I'll never forget this. And I will remember it word for word. He's blowing in his flask 
And he said, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. Wise. And the entire room just, in my head, went quiet. And as I say, I can remember, there's all these pivotal moments in your life. That was the first big domino. And I literally came out, ran up to my dad, said I got to quit. I went up, I saw it, babbling like a nutter on heroin. And I said, I've got to quit. I've got to take a risk. I've got to take a move. I've got to be better. It will than still this. be there. Like you say, your cousins are like 26, when it, you know, whatever. That life, should whatever you go and attempt to do not work, was still going to be there in like three, five, yeah. 10 years' time to a certain I extent. I don't think that's, that's not a good it. attitude. You it's see, not a good I... attitude, but absolute worst case scenario is still that, you know. Do you know the do you know the bad thing about worst case scenarios? We stick them in our pocket and we rely on them. When I left that bridge, you know, when I actually moved away from Brick Lane, I nuked that connection. I sold my tools. If I'd have left my tools, I wasn't going back. You see, a lot of people are scared. And here's the funny thing: we're all scared. How we react to it is what is important. For me, I'm scared of being there. I'm scared of not taking mm. a chance. Becoming I, your I, granddad, yeah. I didn't want to do that. So in which case, it wasn't an option for me. And of course, every job that I got fired from was just, okay, that didn't work. The next thing will. Oh, that didn't work, but the next thing will. And it was this fear. I remember someone said to me a while ago, and it was a beautiful quote. They said, the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman that you could have been. And that's always, I don't go back. I never go back. They are they are radioactive to me. I could never do. It. I don't think my little my little fairy hands can actually hold up the bridge. No, now. and there's two things no. you said there. One is about being willing to fail because you've got to see failure as just part of the road to success, haven't you? And you can't fail once and then scuttle back to where you were. And then I think the other is blowing up your past so that you've got to keep moving forward. And I, I, did, I think I did that in my first marriage actually. But yeah, yeah you're not going back there. <laughs> No. Yeah, but how much How much did you learn from that? <laughs> yeah, an awful lot. Here's the roadmap. We fail at things, and then we do it again. That's called experience. And then all of a sudden it starts working. Now that's called credibility. And that's mm. what you invoice for. But then I don't know why, but failure is seen as negative and as something to be embarrassed of and not talk about and cringy and all of that. And actually it should just be you will fail a million times on the road to success and everybody has. And, you know, if you fail, then you're one step nearer to that success. So, you know, yeah. rejoice in it, really. I, t- yeah. I, put a, I put a little video up and it's comedic and it's, got, it's, it's to the tune of Benny Hill. But I put a little... <laughs> Yeah, classic. I put a little video up on my Instagram, which was all Elon Musk's failures. There's thousands. I couldn't fit them all in one video, but there's a great video on all of Elon's failures. Where, where again, can we find that? Where can we find that? Uh, Steve D. Sims. It's on. Uh, it's on my Instagram page. On your, on your uh, Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've only got to get it right once. Hmm. That's all that matters. It will fail a thousand times and you get it right once. And then the rest of it was just education and research. And you might actually have quite a bit of fun along the way. You know, meet different people, do different things. Failure doesn't just mean your life's in misery. It can be quite enjoyable as well. I actually had, I had, uh, and I won't mention his name, but I was at a party in Mayfair. It was very high to do. A lot of very powerful people were in there. I'd met him at the, the hotel and we'd gone to the party together. And as the elevator went up and the lift door opened as we stepped out he looked around the room because he was he's a very powerful well-known british entrepreneur and he looks around the room and he looked at me and he went excellent a room full of failures my first reaction was 
well, that's not very nice, you know. <laughs> oh, you know. You can't say anything gonna... nice. Don't say anything at all. Yeah. And he, he obviously sensed that I had changed tone. And he went, no, 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 hang on a minute. He said, you know, realize everyone in this room is a serial failure. They haven't allowed it to define them. They've allowed it to refine them. And I went, oh, now this is the room I want to be in. So if I meet someone, whether I'm going to employ them, whether I'm going to work with them, whether I'm going to coach for them, I want to know, okay, what was your biggest failure and what did you get out of it? Yeah, I want to know the messy stuff. I want to know when the shit hits the fan and the going gets tough, you've got the sort that I want to stand next to. Because if you ain't, you're not the person I want to get into business with. Oh, yeah, you don't want a snowflake. Absolutely not. We're entrepreneurs. We've been laughed at. We've been screwed over. We've been sued. We've been ripped off. And if you haven't, you ain't an entrepreneur yet. It's coming. Or it's coming. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah but that's, it's that's, that's how you get your stripes, yeah. you know? You got to learn those things. Yeah. So how would you how what what would you say to those people wanting to get into those rooms then? Because you're a doorman, you're a you're you're able to see different things going on. Uh, if you're just an average person, how do you sort of climb up the ladder, if you like, to go get into the better rooms? So what the fuck am I if I'm not an average person? No, do you you know like I mean you yeah, were what I'm to be saying in is Hong you Kong. straight yeah, and that's that's the thing you've straight away put some kind of like distance between them. And and me, hmm. average people. Well, no, but I mean, like, um, okay, not well. You've got a job on. Board, I know what you're so, saying, yeah, and I'm not yeah. picking on you. Hmm. I'm picking on the listener that's yeah. maybe sitting there going, "Well, I'm just." Oh, it's all right. It's all right for him. People yeah. will think that about you right now, listening to it. I would. Some people will because yeah. they'll because of the air of confidence that you have, or they might think something like, "Yeah, but listen to him. He can speak like that." So you know, people might might think Didn't that. Always. Or, yeah. yeah, didn't always. I was, I was again. See, I ride motorcycles now. I've ridden motorcycles all of my life. Every country I've been in, I'm 250 pounds. Which I, what's that? Like 16 stone? I'm like 16 stone of ugly. You know, you've you've met me. You know, it's not ugly. Not, it's lovely. We've already pointed that out. So you know. uh, yeah, lovely. Um, <laughs> but I'm not the most warming kind of if you saw me walking down the street i'm not quite sure randomly you would stop me for a conversation but put yeah. it like well, that you know? walking behind me down Some the dark alley yeah <laughs> i didn't know you right so the point is i was rough i didn't know how to do these things i just had that aggravation in me you see I, i've got one question for anyone listening to this now are you happy where you are are you happy with the relationship you're in are you happy with the job you've got are you happy with your bank balance, your payroll, your holidays. If you're happy with all of that, then why are you listening to this podcast? But if you're not, you've got to create momentum. You've got to start the first thing. Now, back in the 80s and 90s, or the 90s when I was doing this, I didn't have Instagram to prove out how inadequate my life was. But now today, we've got things like this, this podcast. Now, we've all said, all three of us have agreed, you've got to be in the room where people challenge you. That room could be listening to the right podcast. It could be mm. listening to the right books. You've got to get out. To on, that was the next step. You've got to get out to entrepreneurial events and start getting uncomfortable. Mm. And you've got to be prepared to ask stupid questions. How did you do that? Why did you do that? Leave that room with that mindset. Get educated by those people. You see, I, I want to be crystal clear. I don't like 
red carpet events. I don't like dressing up in a tuxedo. I don't like going backstage. This was the thing that I did for 20 plus years, but I always tell people that was not the business I was in. I did that so I could have a two-hour conversation with the guy that owned the country. I wanted to be able to have breakfast with a guy that owned a Fortune 500 company, a bank, you know, all of those kind of things. Hey, if it means I've got to get you a piano lesson with Elton John, all right, I'll do that. But that was where my eye was. And yeah. when you get off that table and you leave that room and you've just had an hour's conversation with you know, Elon Musk or Richard Branch or someone like that, you can't do any more than just action it. It's yeah. the fool that would walk away from that table and go, well, that was good. <laughs> do nothing well, think, with it. I think what you've got that is maybe lacking today is the ability to take responsibility and take action. So what you said is, you know, look at your life. Are you happy in your relationship? Are you happy with the bank? And lots of people aren't. And I don't think anybody is fully happy. But if there's a tendency to just kind of have a whinge about it or go, well, there's not a lot. That's my lot. You know, that kind of thing. And actually what you've done is gone, (laughs) oh, well, I'm not happy. And it's up to me to take small actions that might get me other opportunities and move forward. So I think that somehow there's a lack of sense of responsibility that I can make a difference. I can change my life if I want to. And it, and it is fear, yeah. though. It is fear, like you said. People just don't. People well, I think what's before. a role this... model? Like, who, other, seeing other people do it and go, oh, well, I'll come to that thing with you. And, oh, okay, you know, it's who, like you say, you don't have to start by trying to mix with billionaires. You can just start by people who do something slightly different and get out there. And That's yeah. it, Anita. You, you don't put people up on pedestals. You know, I'm... I'm a great, we've all got fear, okay? We're all scared. My fear, and I live very well, and I'm very happy, and I'm okay, but my fear would be to be in the exact same place today as I am in six months' time. Mm-hmm. I need to try something. I need to fail. I'm working on a couple of projects now. One of them's already starting to look a bit sketchy and needs, you know, some tweaking and some editing, or we're going to kill it. But the bottom line of it is, I need to constantly grow. I need to constantly challenge myself. If you don't, you become stagnant, stink, and die. And I'm not prepared for that. So we're all scared. But for me, I'm scared of standing still. And the one thing, if I can give anyone out there one thing to do that they need to start looking at is your standards. Start focusing on your standards. And again, shallow plug, there's a whole chapter on it in Go For Stupid. But I focus on people's standards. What are you willing to accept? Your standards are what people will try to drag down. So try and have your standards high and make them higher and and get people to kind of join you and not you the other way around. If you get some cold fries at a McDonald's, excuse me, these are cold, can I have fresh? Just where's your standards? You know, if you've got a bad table in a restaurant, if, you know, the train's late, if something... Just stand up. You don't have to be rude. I was just about to say, you don't have to be rude. I, love you it. I don't. did that yesterday. I was in McDonald's and my burger was cold. I said, I'm really sorry to complain, but this is cold. And they went, oh, sorry, got me a new one. Standards. Mm. See, that. what are you willing to accept? That is always going to be your weakest link. Now, on the front of it, you may look like, yeah, look at my Mercedes. Look at this. Everything's going good. But if you're willing to accept cold fries, that's your standards. That's your line. So yeah. you've got to raise your standards straight off the bat. Even though then my kids are going, you're such a Karen, Mum, because I just don't accept when it's if I'm paying for something. More often than not, McDonald's, you have to say that though now. That's why. But that's that's the problem today. People like we're all over the age of twenty, 
okay? But we can all remember being at school when the teacher goes, any questions, you put your hand up, you ask the question. If you put your hand up again, everyone starts laughing at you. You know, we all know that. It's human psychology. But here's the dumb thing. You don't know the answer, nor does anyone else in the room. So you've all gone away dumb. Yeah. So the point is, people don't like people to stand out. So now we've got a way of attacking white women. Oh, you're a Karen. Well, actually, I've got standards. But, you know, the point is, we have got to stand out by, first of all, standing up. And uh, as I say, aggravated oysters, they make pearls. Definitely. And like you say, you don't need to be rude about it. But you can just very politely, yeah, ask for that. I think I worry about the next generation, you know, like I know that my kids are teenagers, so, you know, still work in progress, not fully formed adults yet. But, you know, they just seem to happy to accept whatever they get. Oh, don't do that. That's fine. And, you know, I worry that they're not as discerning and saying, actually, I'm paying for this. This is what I deserve. I have mixed emotions. Now, I live here in Los Angeles, so I've seen a lot of the protests and marches going on. And you've got one side of the fence where they like to sit there and basically, you know, quarterback it from their couch and go, oh, look at that, Karen. And oh, look at it. And they've got a mouth on them. And then you've got the other kind of people that love to get on a march, get out of that room and actually protest against something. So there's a big divide at the moment. But the daft thing is people are frightened of joining a conversation where it's going to be potentially detrimental to that image, that brand, or they're going to be cancelled. Look at Bala Sienega. They did a stupid advert. It was ridiculous. Oh, it was. But here's the thing. Fashion has always been that stupid thing that's always tried to push the boundaries, hasn't it? Now, they went too far. But we've got a desire now not to go, well, that's ridiculous. I'm going to boycott this year's season. We want to cancel people's careers. We get proud sitting there serving coffee and flipping burgers we get proud if we can screw up people's careers that we could never afford in any case the cancel culture is a cancer what is wrong with just having an opinion and disagreeing with something and saying i don't agree that that was the right thing for them to do i don't like that without having to say they shouldn't be in existence anymore you're right there's there's nothing wrong with it and that's where we've got a problem now we've always had a herd mentality And a friend of mine once said to me, and I'm sure his statistics are out, he said that 90% of the planet works for 10%. But those 90%, they're really noisy. And that's it. You've got these people. Imagine the amount of people that can never afford Balasienega that have actually gone out of their way to try and post things and cancel their business. I think also people are really angry. And they just sometimes look for something to channel that anger towards and justify it. I think I noticed it out and about. If ever, you know, someone disagrees with you, you know, in a shop or something like that, and just people are just angry. We are. That's a very good point. Those angry people are the noisy ones, though. The people that aren't, they're just trying to get, but they don't, they can't be bothered to do that. But then that makes it worse because the angry people are the last. Oh, I don't know that it's getting mad. worse. I think maybe mm. lockdown and, and, and I don't know, COVID, whatever. But I just think there are a lot more. No, you're right. Anita, yeah. Anita, you're, you're right. Don't let that go. You are completely right. The world today is pissed off. Mm. We, before COVID, we'd look at an advert and we'd be like, ah, that's your, we'd walk away from it. We were locked down, and straight away we were locked down. We were lied to. There was controversy. There was riots. You can't make these last three years up. You know, all we need now is aliens to come down and abduct us, (laughs) and we've got everything. But we've got 
politics. We've got world wars. Politics, not only in your country, in everybody's country. America's a shit show. UK's a shit show. We don't know what's going on. So we've got this heightened sense of tolerance, rejection, and it's literally the straw that breaks the camel's back. Someone says something and we triggered. Mm. We're snapped. We aren't as low. You speak on stages, so you know this. When you speak on stage, the first thing you need to do is gauge the temperature of the room. Now, if the speaker that's been on before you was really good, you've got a great warmed up crowd. If the speaker before you was a part of turd, you've got to get the crowd up. Got to get the energy going, yeah. Yeah, so you have to work with the temperature, and you need to know the temperature of the room. The world, you need to recognize the temperature. So any of you out there marketing, what temperature was your clients in? You've got to recognize that before you can have the conversation. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a different climate out there, isn't it? I don't know, maybe maybe because of cancel culture, politicians are just too afraid to actually lead, aren't they, and say something that might be unpopular. Lots of people that are too scared might be the to be right a, thing yeah. in the country. Yeah, lots um, of people are too scared to really say exactly what they think. I don't think I don't actually believe really anybody is. And even even when they are seeming like they are saying exactly how they feel, it's the bits that they choose to look at kind controversial to look a certain way rather than actually what they want to say majority of people it's, yeah. it's like it's like oh god they, they really say how it is no they don't they say the bits that they want to make them look a certain way to look like it they say it how it is but actually it's very 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 carefully chosen what things they will say and what they won't yeah it's manipulated uh, manipulated mm. and manufactured you know a lot of people yeah. now and we work with a lot of copywriters, and we've actually got people in the White House and places like that. There are teams now that literally look at everything that could be said and goes, well, okay, how can we take that the wrong way? How can we take what you're going to say out of context? Hang on a minute. You've got this paragraph, but these four words could be snatched, boomeranged, and thrown up on TikTok. So we have to change the way that that writes. Yeah, they are yeah. so fine They become bland and nothing, vanilla <clears throat> shit, doesn't it? And we're getting scared. We're getting scared. If I, look, I can stand here and I can go, Trump, Me Too, Black Lives Matter, Asian hate, Ukraine, and someone out there that's listening to this is going to go, all right, no. what's he going to say about that? You know, yeah. And they're triggered. They mm. are just triggered. But everything I've just mentioned, we should openly be having a conversation on. We should openly be going, hang on a minute, how did this happen? Why did that? What can we do about it? We should not run away from conversations. We should run into them. I really love um, live comedy and I go to lots of different shows and I think comedy was the last bastion of being able to talk about these taboo issues and, yeah. you know, bring humour into it. And even that is changing. And, you know, like, I don't know, you know, shows like Friends that were hugely popular and, and they'd never be able to make that now because nope. now it's like, oh, it's elitist and it's racist and it's sexist. And, you know, and, and even that's trying to be shunned, one of the most popular TV. And there's loads of ones like that. And I just think it's such a shame, isn't it? It's humour. It's just Well, Will, Will Smith didn't help it, did he? You know, when there was a comedy <laughs> act and he stood on that, that hasn't exactly helped his brand but yeah he, David, he recently i'm just i've got a lot of unresolved anger that <clears> i need to work through so he's like you know the epitome of everybody out there who's pissed off but they don't really know why or where to channel it what to do with it yeah i'm on chris rock it is very very sad in a world where we lost the ability to connect for two years that we've actually now turned on ourselves 
Mm. And that's what's happened. You know, there was all this bullshit about, oh, COVID, you know, I, I can't connect with my... Here's the dumb thing, and, and it's actually in the UK, so you can search this on BBC. During the two years of COVID, there were more first-time millionaires registered than at any other period in our life. And in fact, the number was over 5 million. So mm. over 5 million new first-time millionaires were registered during that period of COVID. Now, while Companies there was... that got set up by people in the House of Lords and their husbands yeah. and family and <laughs> offshore companies. And, and there's all these people out there bitching, going, oh, it's COVID, you know, what can I binge watch on Netflix? How can I waste my life? And then there are other people out there going, I've been given more time. Yeah, that's yeah. what happened to us. Our business thrived. Most people did. And we used it. I know when COVID hit and everyone was moaning about connecting, I actually adopted really heavily this new technology. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you what the technology is because I don't think a lot of people know about it. It's called a phone. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually started well, phoning. I did. I would call people up and I'd be like, yeah, how, how are you doing? <laughs> and, it was, and that was the thing. At first, I was getting hesitation. Yeah. People were like, oh, um, what's I love up? Using, I love weirding people out by phoning them. It's my, like, yeah, my it's favorite great. method of... Uh, Interaction. What, 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 you well, we had the ability to do it. We had FaceTime, Zoom, <laughs> WhatsApp. We had so many ways of communicating with people. We couldn't physically touch them, but that was only one element of what communication is. Yeah. And everyone was bitching about it and just sitting on their sofa and crying into that soup. The rest of the planet was like, okay, how can I make this win? And again, back to Sean Stevenson. How can I make this be done for me? and not to me. Yeah, and that's what I like, because there's a positive... So, oh, all right, we've had a bit of a whinge about society and people and Camp Scott and all of that, but there are a billion opportunities out there. So just get out there and, and see what there are. You know, any the barriers to entry of anything is so low now compared to 20, 30 years ago that you can start a business while still working full-time. And, you, you know, oh, you can yeah. go and do anything. You can learn anything. You can... You could talk to anyone you want on social media, send messages. You might not always get a response, but you can approach all of these people that you would never have been able to get in front of. Yeah. I actually did a list when COVID hit. We all thought it was going to last a couple of months, didn't we? Yeah. And so I started looking at the business and I started looking and I started making a wish list of all the people that I hadn't been able to connect with over two years. And my list was about 60 people. It was a big ass list. And so then I started doing that thing with that technology that we spoke about, the phone. And the daft thing was they couldn't be on a plane. They couldn't be in a meeting. They couldn't be traveling. I went through my entire list within six months and got every single person that prior to COVID I couldn't connect with. Now yeah. I'm in business with probably about two-thirds of those people because I took the chance. Yeah. And that's the daft thing. People don't take the chance. Yeah. And also, you know, they're probably fed up with their family. So they'll answer the phone to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you're love, I've got to take this. You you're, just you're look not, after the kids. You're not wrong, no, are you? There was, yeah. we, we're we were looking for something to change our life and they're, they're waiting for you and you're not calling. It made no sense to me. So were you locked down in Malibu? I'm sorry to say yes. <laughs> That's really shit for us. I had to sit there on my yard and in my in my grounds with my dogs, drinking my coffee over the beach, snivelling in my coffee that I was mm. locked down. I actually loved it. I've been with my wife, uh, I think we celebrated 37 or 38 years wow. this year. 
So we've been together forever. But the funny thing was, and this is true, and a friend of mine, Tucker Max, actually was the one that kind of brought it to my attention. He knew he loved his family, but he didn't know how much he liked them. And I knew I loved my family, but I really liked my wife. So I had two years where I'm not flying, I'm not traveling. It was like I was given a nine-day week. Every single day I woke up with her, every day I was with her, every night I was with her. It was great. And it's been a big change. Now my business, I won't travel unless it's with her. I'm not doing something unless we're together. And it's been absolutely fantastic. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. And how lucky because that's not because you live in a fabulous place, is it? That's just because, you know, you've got, you happen to get with someone and you've grown in the right way oh, yeah. together rather than grown apart. Well, we, we lived a load of lo- load of years in Basingstoke. I can't exactly say she was going out with me for my money and future. Oh, digger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you're a gold digger, you don't go to Basingstoke. (laughs) (laughs) Just passing through. (laughs) So what advice would you give then? What what would you say to somebody who's sitting there going, do you know what? It's in me. I've got to do something. What shall I do? Uh, Just, okay, get involved in communities. That's the first way to change the way you think, okay? Everything is based on a reaction. No one loses weight by buying a diet book. They lose weight by action in it. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to change the mindset. If you're sitting there going, oh, my God, I can't do this and I can't do that, you're right. So let's change that for a start. Let's get in those rooms where you can meet average Joes, people like me, you know, people that never finished school that are now doing X, Y, Z, and you can go, hang on a minute. If that guy's doing it, I'm already out of excuses. That's the mentality you've got to be in. I'll give you one little example. Have you ever hung out with your girlfriends and they bought like a handbag and it's this weird color? Or you've been walking, you've been in the market for a new car and you're walking through a car dealership and there's a car that's a strange color and you're like, I've never seen that color before. Wow. The following day, what's the only color you can see? Yeah, Yeah. It's that color. You're driving down the road and there's that weird mustardy green, yellow car everywhere. Your mind accepts the opportunities that you're looking for. When you only see despair and uh, depression, that's what you're going to receive. But when you start getting into, into rooms where people see opportunities, that's all you see. Yeah. And so you want to be in that situation where you get your brain going, all right, this is a guy or girl They like to get uncomfortable. They're looking for opportunities. Right, let's get those flaps open. Where's those opportunities? And that's what you got to do. First thing you got to do, change the room you're in. And that includes your mates. Mm -hmm. You got to look around. They're the first ones to go. Got to get get rid of them. And it's not like cancer. You know, you can't take a tablet and it will just go, cut it out. You've got to be vicious with it. If there's someone at your coffee table or at the bar that doesn't support you, doesn't energize you, doesn't push you and challenge you, get that person gone. I've got mates that I'll sit around and have a beer with and I'll talk nothing. Hey, Steve, how's business? Great. Should we get another beer? And that's it. And then I've got other rooms where I'm delving in going, well, actually, I've got this franchise situation. I'm looking at a VA complex. So what should I be doing? And you'll delve into it. So just know the conversations you've got to have where they are. But don't look for support in unsupporting rooms. Yeah, really wise words, definitely. And I think I think that's something you kind of learn as you get older as well. You know, yeah, it's, it's it hard is. To accept when you're young. And the danger is, and I'm going to call it out there, that the sad thing is that those people you need to cut out of your life may be your family. I've got members of my family, and they know exactly who they are, so they're going to hear this, that I will meet them for Christmas, I will meet them for birthdays, and we'll chat, 
and I've tried to help them. And then a year later, I'm like, you know, oh, how did you do with that 12 step that I sent? And I've had my people draw up these tactical steps. That, yeah, I must get around to that. Step. Uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, are you time. kidding? <laughs> and they know who they are. They're like, hey, Steve, I want to pick your brain. You can't. For mm. you, it's closed. Mm. And I'm like that. I'm literally fiercely like that. One of my family, and again, he knows exactly who he is. I try to help him three times over a year. I'm on about, I really got into his business. I got people to analyze his numbers. I got marketing people to get in. We came up with advertising, branding campaigns for him. Yeah, we really worked on him over a year for probably around about nine months. He didn't do anything with it. Mm. absolutely nothing. And then I think it was like a year and a half later, I saw him, he was like, oh, I want to th- I think I want to kind of like get into that. Can you help me? And I was like, are you kidding? Again, you're like a year of my life and you did nothing with it. Now his daughter, she wanted to get into something. I helped her with a little bit of it just to test the water. She freaking activated it, actioned it, ran with it made a couple of mistakes, and I was able to go, why don't we work on it? We actually do a lot with that girl. I've been working with her for about three years. Dad's a dipshit. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. But the daughter, she has it. It's the action. And you don't need to be the smartest person in the room, but you definitely need to be the dumbest to not action it. And take action, yeah. So two questions we always ask all of our guests. One is, might know the answer to this one, to recommend a book. I think Go For Stupid would be an absolutely phenomenal idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, you've been, you've been in America too long. <laughs> yeah, I know. Actually, I think one of the books I really like, and funny enough, I've just reread it, and I think this would make it like my seventh time, is Ryan Holiday's Trust Me, I'm Lying. It's all about the world of media and manipulation mm-hmm. in media. And in a media-driven world where it's only getting more intensive, it's really good to get an angle on it. So Ryan Holiday, trust me, I'm lying, I would suggest. And then the second question is, what makes you savvy? What makes me what? Savvy? Savvy, because we're the Get Savvy Club. Yeah, uh, what makes me savvy? Oh, it's true. That's a tough question. Um, I think it's my aggravation. Um, My wife always calls me a 55-year-old, 5-year-old, which is weird because I'm 56 now. But uh, I think I've got that curiosity marred with uh, aggravation that just keeps me trying different things. You know, I want to yeah. know why that remote control works. So I'll take the back off. Can't put it back together. In fact, joking aside, I've got a garage here and I collect motorcycles. I tore down one of my motorcycles about a month ago and I can't put it back together again. But at least I know what the inside of the engine looks like. And so now I've got to get my mechanic to come over and fix my bike. So no, I think my, bro- actually- my brother used to do that when we were kids. <laughs> All the time. We called my son Fiddle Fingers because you give him anything and look at it five minutes later and it's in pieces. But that's me. Look, I can't put it... My mechanic's going to come over and I'm going to hover over this guy to see how he puts it back together, okay? I'm going to try... And that's not something you want to get wrong because, No, no, it absolutely isn't. But it's that curiosity. You know, I pulled it apart. Check one. Can I help put it back together again? Because I'm telling you what's going to happen. If I'm able to help him put it back together again... You know for well I'm going to pull it apart again and put it back together again. See if I got it right. So I think yeah. I think what makes me savvy is that curiosity. Never lose it and determination. Brilliant. So how can our listeners find out more about you? Should they wish to? What's the best place for them to look? It's very easy. Steve D Sims D for dashing one M in Sims. I'm at stevedsims.com or anywhere that you get your social, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. I'm on LinkedIn. Yep, and guess what I am on LinkedIn? 
Steve, Steve D. Sims. Sims. If you're enjoying Marketing Made Easy, the podcast from Get Savvy Club, use your podcast app to rate, review and subscribe. As we said at the start of this podcast, Steve is an inspiration to anybody from the humble beginnings that he came from and just making that decision in life and just going for things and also failing fast is super important in that as well is to it's just I mean, I don't think he ever set out to do the failures that he did, but they all lead to somewhere. So the quicker you embrace being able to just go at things and they not work out so you pivot and change and whatever the better really so if you want to be in with the shouts of winning steve's book all you need to do is uh screenshot this particular episode of the podcast and share it on social media and tag us in it and you could win a copy of it brilliant so we'll see you on the next episode see you later bye Bye. That was Marketing Made Easy, the podcast from Get Savvy Club. If you enjoyed it, connect with us on social media. Just search Get Savvy Club.